Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that, well, something like that. Howdy, everybody. Dave Simons in tonight at your service. And loving every minute of it. As I mentioned in the first hour, actually doing the show remotely down in Fort Worth as I came down for the Mizzou game last Friday. And I've got family down here, so it's easy just to kind of take up residence for a while. And uh, got to spend some time with my daughter and son-in-law. They live in Houston, so they came up and then saw some college buddies and went to the game with them. And it was just a great time. And Oh, man, uh, still on cloud nine as a long-suffering Tiger fan and Mizzou alum, and I'm very excited. I try not to get too giddy, all right? I, I think that uh, many of us still have that skepticism because we saw this, uh, we Mizzou football fans, back in 07, 08, the Chase Daniel days, and we thought this is the start of something big, and eh, it, was, it, it was it was good. It fell, and then it came back up when we first went to the SEC and then fell again, but this feels a little different. Like, man, there's something there's something special here. I hope we can continue that uh, for, for many years. Um, I have a little take on that related to long-suffering sports fans and something that just showed up on one of my feeds recently. I think you guys will get a kick out of it. I do want to finish up very quickly the thing that um, I just ran out of time to talk about at the end of the first hour. And that was all about whether or not you as an investor are focused more on just performance, got to chase the performance, versus being more goals-oriented. And it's a no-brainer. You've got to focus on goals and fitting in with your risk profile, and the performance will naturally take care of itself. If you are just performance, 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 you are actually in a race that you don't need to be competing in. There's no reason to it. You need to step off the track and understand what you're, you're really trying to do. Because let me tell you something. If you are always chasing performance, you are going to fall behind in that race more often than not. And it's going to cause you to take on extra risk. And you're going to say, oh, you know, I, 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 yeah, I know I was up 16%, but the, you know, the S&P was up X, it was up 20%. I got, I got to do something different next year. Why? Why does that even matter? I'm, I'm, and I'm being serious about that. If you've got a properly crafted allocation and portfolio and you can meet your goals, by just achieving 4 or 5% a year for the next 20, 30, 40 years, whatever the case may be. I'm not saying that you don't want to strive for more. Don't get my point. I'm not telling you that you have to be purposely conservative. What I'm saying is you don't lead with performance. When I do my annual reviews, for example, we never even look at the accounts at the beginning. We don't. We don't talk about performance over the past six months, 12 months, whatever. We don't look at the accounts. You know what I do? We look at the goal uh, profile first. Are we still on track? If we went off track, what happened? Why? What do we need to do to get back on track? Performance is really never part of it. 
And so it's always to make sure that everything that we're trying to accomplish, that they're trying to accomplish, we're still in that game. We're, we're five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. And then we'll get to the accounts and how things are doing and decide if we need to switch things around. I think too many people have it backwards. They just look at their performance first, and then they come up with some kind of wild conclusion that they've got to change things around. And you're always going to be chasing. You're always going to be in the back of the pack on the track. And again, it's a competition that you don't need to be part of. Okay, now let's uh, continue on. So I think, well, let me put it this way. Let me back up a little bit. The hardest time in my career when it comes to fixed income bonds, the conservative part of the portfolio, was way back in the early part of my portfolio, uh, portfolio my career, uh, 30 years ago, back in uh, 94. Some of you may recall that 94 was kind of a bond route, and it really all stemmed from when Orange County, California declared bankruptcy. Some of you may remember that, and that really sent shockwaves throughout the entire municipal bond industry. Because, hey, if Orange County and the bonds related to pay for services there in Orange County, if, if, that, if that area goes bankrupt, a lot of wealth out there, well, shoot, are my beauty bonds here in St. Louis, are they safe? And bond prices were really collapsing in a lot of areas around the country. And that was very difficult to navigate. And I didn't have a lot of experience at that time. I never really um, went through a tough bond bear market because there really hasn't been one until the last couple of years. And I really have felt for people who are retired and dependent more on the safety part of their portfolio. Stocks are one thing. We understand the risks when we put money in the stock market. We do. We should. The bond portion is supposed to be the conservative part, and it was anything but in 21 and 22, when inflation was picking up and peaking above 9%, bonds were getting routed. And uh, it was very, very difficult. Now, you, the average investor was still getting their coupon and their dividends that were actually going up, which was nice. But they were getting statements to say, well, I had a million dollar bond portfolio that's now worth 850000 I didn't think that could happen. Well, it never had in history. Two and a half, actually a little bit more, but two and a half plus really bad years. Well, fortunately, things have settled down. And just like the stock market rebounded in November and December, had a wonderful two-month run to close out the year, fixed income did the same. Bonds have rallied. And I feel really good about 24 being a good bond year. That portion of the portfolio, I feel more confident telling you that I think bonds will hold up than I will may ever make a prediction about the stock market because there are just too many variations and variables involved in, in trying to handicap the stock market. So in Barron's, the esteemed financial publication, every year about this time, they come out with an article for income-oriented investors. And they've got a wonderful track record. I'll just give you an example, the most recent. You know how I started off, or, or at least in the first hour, I talked about how virtually every market strategist was wrong in predicting the stock market for 23. A lot of people were wrong on the fixed income side as well. Barron's 
as they are wont to do at the beginning of every, every year. They come up with their, they, they rank these sectors of income producing investments for what they say will be, this will be your best total return. And they rank them in order all the way down to number 12. And that's not to say the 12th will actually lose money. It's just on a relative basis, won't give you the same return as their top picks. They were spot on in 23. Their number one pick uh, uh, last year for 23 was energy pipelines. They said going into for income-oriented investors in 23, out of 12 subsectors of the fixed income area, number one will be energy pipelines. And you know out of the 12, energy pipelines was number one. Their bottom choice, utilities. Because of rising interest rates, they said out of the 12 subsectors, utilities will give you the lowest return. In fact, they lost money and they were spot on. So I think we would do ourselves a favor to check in with Barron's to say, to see, hey, what did you guys pick for 24? Well, number one, now again, this isn't just pure fixed income. So we're not talking about T-bills or corporate bonds or mini bonds. We're talking about, in some cases, total return, but people who want some dividends or interest. Number one are stocks, but U.S. blue chip value, boring, plain vanilla, dividend stocks. That is their number one choice. As they wrote, healthcare, consumer staples, and energy combined were little changed in 23, while electric utilities and telecom stocks finished the year in the red. So they go on to talk about the fact that uh, good total return, you can get some really nice dividend yield of these dividend paying stocks of above 5%. And in their opinion, it's their opinion, of course, this isn't necessarily uh, of that of Dave Simons, but their number one pick of the 12 subsectors going into next year is U.S. dividend stocks. What's number two? What's number three? And what's last on their list? Well, you're going to have to stick around. All right. We got some bills to pay here at KMOX. So we'll take a break. We'll come back and finish this little discussion and get into some other fun stuff with At Your Service tonight on KMOX. Dave Simons filling in. We'll talk to you again in just a few minutes. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back, my friends. It is 9-19 in St. Louis. Dave Simons filling in. We'll be with you again next Wednesday night, so in eight days from now, back uh, at your service. Okay, I'm talking about Barron's Magazine and how I think their analysts who focus in on income-producing ideas at the beginning of every year have a pretty consistent track record. Now, you don't follow it necessarily to the T. These are just some ideas to think about for income-oriented people. And, and for some of you, these would not be appropriate. So you have to determine if this fits in with your own goals-oriented objectives, since we were just talking about that, your own risk profile, whether you do it with uh, on your own 
or use a financial advisor. So I started off by talking about the fact that Barron's believes out of 12 main sectors of income producing investments, their idea, their opinion this year, total return, income and some principal growth would be good old fashioned US blue chip value stocks. I hope they're right because it's been a long time in coming. Now, number two, a similar vein, but we have to go outside of the U.S. It's international dividend stocks. Same thing. They have been underperforming more of the growth counterparts. By the way, in both sections, in both U.S. dividend stocks and international dividend stocks, the average investor should probably not be trying to pick their own individual dividend-paying stocks. I think most people, if you're doing it on your own, should probably go and find some good ETFs, some exchange-traded funds. There are some really good ones. Um, you couldn't do much better, I don't think, than than looking at what we call the S&P 500 dividend aristocrats. That's as far as I can go. I'm not allowed to give a lot of other specific details, but do some research there. You can find some ETFs that are based on that and maybe some individual stock ideas. Okay, I'm going to give you one more of their top picks, and then we'll go to the bottom side. Um, remember when I talked about the, the, the number one performing asset class of the 12 last year, which they correctly called energy pipelines? Well, they still like it for 24. Uh, it is number three. And as they wrote, pipeline stocks are coming off two strong years, including a 21% return in 23. The good times should continue into 24. The math is simple. Investors can get 5 to 9% yields, plus an average of about a 5% annual dividend growth. And that's been the history of those things. Now, when they get whacked, they can get whacked. And if oil prices, let's say, were to really collapse and we had some problems in the Middle East and things like that, you could see some principal pressure there. So nothing is guaranteed or safe unless you're going into some kind of cds or something all right now on the bottom side remember last year they correctly said that utilities would be the worst performing uh, ones and they have where do they have utilities uh they've put it up a little bit higher yeah da, 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 i don't see it here i think it was like eight or nine that they have this year anyway the the, the bottom one huh this is interesting Good old-fashioned U.S. Treasuries. After getting walloped, I just talked about this, in 21 and 22, and for much of 23, finally getting a rebound. Now, let me be clear. Barron's is not saying they're going to lose money, total return, like they did in 21 and 22. In fact, they write here, quote, there's still a lot to like about Treasuries. They could provide a hedge against a decline in the stock market if the economy weakens in 24. The call for a recession has definitely lessened. Some people are convinced it will not happen. Others, like myself, feel there's still a chance of a mild recession. So I don't feel confident coming to you this evening and saying, ah, the all clear, come on out, no recession. You never know, man. It, the, the economy could still weaken to the point we'd have a mild contraction. If that were to be the case, the Fed will be more aggressively cutting rates and these treasuries could do very well, and they wouldn't finish dead last. They would actually do much better. The one right above it, 11 out of 12, muni bonds. As they write here, the market has gotten less appealing, muni bonds, after a historic rally in November that continued into December. 
Uh, now, again, that doesn't mean that they're going to go down. They just think that a lot of the juice that you could get out of total return of muni bonds may have been taken. Don't sell your muni bonds, folks. I own them, too. This is just informational only. Do with it what you will. All right. So how many of you actually get on Facebook? Show of hands. Wow, okay, quite a few of you. I do. I just raised my hand. Not often. I'm not a junkie like some of you out there. But every couple few days or so, I'll check in to see what's going on. Mine is a no political neighborhood zone. If I have any friends that start getting involved and throwing politics around and it's and and the temperature gets turned up, I delete them as a friend. I just do. I don't care. I don't want that. I just want to learn what some of the people I know are doing, whether it's through work, family, church, sports. They're going. I, I, I love that stuff. I love to feel connected that way in, within my own friend community. And so as some of you know who are, get on Facebook from time to time, I think one of the great little additions that Zuckerberg made many years ago or whoever came up with this at Facebook was when they have these memories that come up. Here's something you posted five years ago today or eight years ago today. And I'm amazed at how many times I look at that and think, oh, my gosh, I remember I, I would have never thought about that if not for this. And I'll sit there and stare at the picture and think at that particular moment in time, that was very, very important to me. But I've completely forgotten about it. Well, this just happened. On New Year's Eve. This past Sunday, December 31st. I wrote this on December 31st of 2018. Listen to this. Now, remember that the, the date is important. It'll start to come to you why I say that. December 31st, 2018, and think of sports. I wrote this. The first question of God that I have for him when I get to heaven, quote, why did you make me a diehard fan of both Mizzou and the Blues? I've been relegated to a life of torturous suffering more than one man can bear. And then some laughing emojis. All right, having a little fun with it. But at the time, recall at the end of 18, the Blues were in dead last place in the entire NHL. And just a little less than six months later, the Blues would be crowned Stanley Cup champs. After I just said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, why did you make me a diehard fan of the Blues? I've suffered (laughs) unreasonably. So how much can one man bear? And then isn't it curious when I'm talking about Mizzou and I went back and looked as a reminder, why would I include Mizzou there? Well, number one, the main sports, basketball, football, we've never been a longstanding powerhouse. We've had our moments, but we've never been considered elite in those sports. And I've been a diehard fan since the seventies. And at the time in 2018, uh, that particular season, Mizzou basketball would be five and thirteen in the SNC, SEC, Ugh. and the football program was four and four in the SEC, SEC, eight and five overall. So not a bad year, but that was basically because we beat up on some cupcakes. So it's just like okay, it's a typical year, Mizzou basketball and football, and well, the Blues are in last place, and this it just hit me. When I see the memories of what I wrote and I had completely forgotten about it, that five and a half months later, the Blues would be hoisting the Stanley Cup and the Mizzou football team would have one of its greatest seasons ever in the future looking really bright. And I actually like this Dennis Gates. 
and what he's doing on the basketball side. It's been really maddening to watch the program this year. But man, his first year last year, that, that was really exciting. Got to the second round of the NCAA finals uh, tournament, lost to the upstart Princeton team. That was a little hard to take. Struggling this year because of some transfers in, but uh, I just read that Mizzou basketball apparently has the second highest rated recruiting class coming in next season. I like it, folks. I like it. All right. Changing gears back to the investment. I kind of touched on this in the first hour, but this is going to be connected to something that I started this year. Uh, actually, in 23, I keep forgetting we're in a new year now. But last spring, I started my own podcast, and I'm having a blast doing it. Now, it's not up and running completely to where I'm going to get it in another couple of years. There are some reasons for that. I'm not going to get into that right now. I'm somewhat limited in what I can do. Uh, but that will change over time. So right now, if you go to my podcast, let's say on the usual outlets like a Spotify or an Apple or something like that, you get my long form interviews that have nothing to do with finance. So whether it's a psychologist, uh, church leaders, uh, political people, sports people, former media uh, personalities like Zip Rezepa, Frank Opinion, people like that, um, usually lasting anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half. Okay, you can go on Spotify, Apple, any of those places and just put in Simon's Says. That's S-I-M-O-N-S. Remember the S at the end. Simon Says Podcast. Now, there's a second type of podcast that I release every week. The long form, only once a month or so. So I think I only have like 11 or 12 of those. I'm recording another one next week. But um, the, 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 what I call the quick hits are only 10 to 15 minutes long. And those are related to investing, financial, and economic issues that I think many of you will find very, very worthwhile. We get right to it, 10 to 15 minutes. Try to keep it informative, entertaining, educational. The one that I'm releasing tomorrow. Now, these will not be on Spotify and all that. The only place to watch the shorter quick hits or even listen to them is you have to go to YouTube. So you go to YouTube. In the search, you just can put in Simon's Says Podcast or Simon's Says Quick Hit. And you should see it. I, there, my logo is a caricature, a cartoon caricature of my bald head. You can't mistake it. The one that will be released tomorrow is connected to what I spent a lot of time in the first hour talking about, that it is ridiculous that these folks on Wall Street come up with an opinion every year on where the market's going and will be dead wrong. They're paid good money to be wrong each and every year. And we are wrong ourselves to give them even two cents worth of our time. That's what the quick hit is tomorrow, but you're all going to get a sneak preview. And I'm going to play it. In its entirety, it's 11 minutes. It'll feel like I'm doing the show live like right now, but this will be the podcast. So we'll take a break. I'll come back. I'll set it up, and we'll get the latest quick hit on the Simon Says Podcast when we come back. Welcome back, everybody. It's 935. All right. As promised, the uh, Simon Says Quick Hit Podcast, which will be released on the YouTube channel tomorrow morning, I'm about to play it right now. It's 10 to 11 minutes. And you will hear me occasionally say, as you can see here. So if you have any interest and want to know what I'm actually pointing at in the charts, then yes, sometime tomorrow or anytime, 
just go to YouTube and plug in Simon's Says Podcast, and then you'll see the latest quick hit there. And while you're there, peruse it. Look at any of the other quick hits that I've done, which would be like, I think this will be my 25th one since I started these last spring. Uh, But anyway, without further ado, here is the latest Simon Says Quick Hit that will air starting tomorrow on YouTube. Hello again, everybody. So a question for you. What do you think the stock market is going to do in 2024? All right, we all have an opinion. Do you think it's going to go up, I don't know, okay, you know, maybe upper single digits or so, 6, 8, 10%? Okay. Maybe you're more bullish than that. Maybe you think the market is actually going to go up 20% or more, a really strong year coming up. Wouldn't that be great? Or you're neutral or agnostic, eh, flat maybe, or you're bearish. You think 2024 could actually be a double-digit decline or worse. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with any of your opinions. None of them. You want to be bullish? There are plenty of reasons to be bullish. Are you concerned and think, yeah, we might actually have a down year in 24? Who am I to argue? The point I want to make is your opinion, trust me on this, your opinion is every bit as valid as the guy or gal on Wall Street who gets paid millions of dollars as a market strategist to come up with some end-of-the-year number, which invariably will be wrong. I'm I'm not kidding about this. Every year, they'll say, okay, I think the S&P 500 is going to end and then fill in the blank, whatever the number is. And then they'll come up with that percentage, which means we believe that the S&P 500 will finish up 8.3% for the year. And we think inflation will be X. And interest rates, the 10-year bond, will end the year at Y. And economic growth, as measured by GDP, will... Every year, they all do it. Every year, they will all be wrong. Trust me on this. Your opinion is every bit as potentially accurate and valid. A lot of you watching right now will know that I run this annual Guess the Dow contest. It's a real fun little thing that I've done for probably 20 plus years. And so it's I have one for my clients, and then I have one for what I call the KMOX listeners. Uh, but basically, it's anyone who subscribes to my uh, weekly email uh, newsletter. And so we do two separate contests. And you know, because we have like a thousand subscribers or so, and, and, and a majority of you participate in that because it's just fun to do, somebody, and it's always the Dow, not the S&P, but somebody always gets within like 10 or 15 points. It's amazing. But that somebody might be a retired person who really doesn't follow the financial markets that much, or it's that school teacher, or it's the engineer, or it's the stay-at-home mom who has nothing to do with the financial service industry, and yet they beat all the so-called experts. Why? Because it's luck. There is no skill. Look, these are very, very smart people who do this for a living. They really do. And they dig into the weeds, and they look at all of the data that is presented, and they extrapolate that out, and they'll even incorporate history uh, into that, And then they'll come up with some number and say, this is our base case scenario. And it's a wasted exercise. This year, all of those professional prognosticators will be wrong, or at least most of them. How do I know this? Because I've seen the guesses, and it's the same every year. If we can really uh, consolidate 
all of the guesswork and bring it down to kind of a range, most estimates by the professional class comes in between 6 and 10% every year, every single year. And the guesses for 2024 are exactly the same, somewhere between 6 and 10%. And how do I know that most will be wrong? Because historically, over the past century, the market has rarely ever finished between 6 and 10%. Look at the numbers right here. Only five times since 1926 has the S&P 500, with dividends included, ever finished between 6 and 10%. The first time ever was in 1956, as you can see, up about close to 7.5%. Now, this is a bit of a statistical anomaly. It's kind of interesting to me. From 1978 to 93, about a 15-year period, it happened four times. That's kind of interesting, including back-to-back -back years there in 92 and 93. But think about that. Five times in nearly 100 years. And yet, year in and year out, that's the guess. Why do they do that? Why do they come up with that same range? Because otherwise, it's career risk. Think about this. If you are a market analyst and you predict that the market's going to be up 22% this year and it finishes down 20%, that's not good for you. Now, you might get a pass for one year, but you do that a couple of years in a row, you're gone. I've seen it happen. I've worked for very big firms before, well-known market strategists, and they were shown the door by becoming a little bit too extreme in their calls. It was done with good intent, and they're smart people, but if you're too far out on the range and you're wrong, you're gone. Or if you're bearish with good intentions and say, look, I can't hide from the fact that I think the market is going to actually be down 25% this year, and here's why, and the market finishes up 20%, you're gone. The safety of the crowd is 6 to 10%, but it doesn't do us any good. I showed this larger chart in a previous podcast, and I want to put that up again. There are all the annual years since 1926. If you're an analyst and you're not afraid for your job, why wouldn't you just say virtually every year the S&P is going to finish up over 10% or 15 or 20%? You have much better odds of being accurate than that 6 to 10% range. In fact, you could be perennially bearish and say the market's going to finish down, which doesn't happen a majority of the time, thank goodness, or even say the market's going to finish down more than 10%, which has happened 12 times over the past century, and your odds would be greater than 6 to 10%. By the way, of all the well-known analysts that I've uh, looked at for 24, uh, Tom Lee of Fundstrat, he's on all the financial uh, news channels all the time, a uh, smart guy, and he's almost always bullish, which means he's typically more right than most people, which typically means that's why he's always invited back on. He's He has one of the more bullish forecasts for 24. No surprise. That's always Tom Lee. He thinks the market could be up about 15% or so in 24. I have no idea. I don't have an opinion one way or the other, but he has historically better odds than being in the safety of the crowd. Six to 10%. Uh, the technical analyst at JP Morgan, that is the most bearish call that I've seen. It's pretty bearish. He believes that the market could finish down between 20 and 25%, not finish the year, but hit down 20 to 25% by July. And then maybe the rebound starts. So he doesn't really have a call for the full year, but the first six months he thinks could get really ugly. Could happen. Nobody knows. I, I can't stress enough. 
how it's pure luck. Now, I present all this to you, not necessarily to poke fun at the professional class and mock them, which they deserve. It's actually to point out something a little bit more serious, and that is too many people base their investment objectives and how they allocate their portfolio on what these professionals pick as some ending number for next year, and yet they're invariably wrong. Now, this isn't to suggest that we shouldn't be aware of what's happening around the world. Of course we should. And you can invest based on what you see with inflation and where it may be heading or interest rates or things that are happening around the world or earnings. I always get back more to earnings. That's typically the most important thing, earnings and what the Fed is doing. Those two are the biggest drivers. But it all gets back to you personally. I used to, many, many years ago, how I would describe this concept, I would tell people, I'd say, why should you care what IBM's next quarterly earnings are? What does that matter to you? Because I would, I would get asked back in the day, um, well, what do you think about Home Depot coming up? They're supposed to report earnings and, you know, there's kind of the canary in the coal mine. I'd say, what does that mean to you as you think about retirement in 10 years? Or how does that impact you in retirement right now generating income? How does that impact any kind of insurance needs that you have? Educating your kids and grandkids, making sure your trust and will documents are in place of some kind of secession plan. How does IBM or Home Depot's quarterly earnings mean anything? Well, that shows you how quaint, how long ago this was when I talk about IBM's quarterly earnings. You don't hear much about that anymore. Now it's all about what do you think the market's going to do? So I've just updated it. I've modernized that concept by saying, what does it mean? If somebody says the market's going to be up 15% next year, if you have a solid plan, that's meaningless. All you know is over the course of time, through bear markets, through corrections, through bull markets, the stock market and the bond market, which will also provide you some income along the way, and maybe some other alternatives, will provide a nice total return, a reasonable return that should be projected into your outlook for the rest of your life. All of that's most important, your unique goals and objectives. So read all these projections for 24 with a little bit of entertainment in mind, like it's a science fiction novel. And if you want, try this exercise, because I do this every year. Print them out. Take all these projections from the professional class, print them out, put them in a folder, and open it up for next year. Here's one prediction I will make for 24. The vast majority of those predictions will not just be a little bit wrong, but dead wrong. Take that to the bank. All right, folks, so that is going to be released on the Simon Says Podcast on YouTube starting at 6 a.m. tomorrow, and then every Wednesday morning we release another one. So uh, I invite you, please, get on there, and uh, I think you'll have fun kind of perusing all the different um, podcasts that I've been putting together, and I'm just having a lot of fun doing it. All right, we're going to come back and go in a completely different direction. No more investment talk. I'm going to give you my take on the time person of the year. Oh man, I know that you're all sitting back there and you can't wait to hear what this old guy has to say of the greatest, the goat of pop stardom of all time, Taylor Swift. Stay with us.
lot of fun to spend time with all of you this evening. It is about nine minutes before the top of the hour. Then we'll say goodbye until next Wednesday when I'll be sitting in uh, from the studio, actually, instead of down here in Fort Worth. So um, we all know that curmudgeon, right? Typically a male, typically, I don't know, a little bit older, but I guess that's not always the case. But it's the guy who just can't seem to be happy about anything, even when it's just a positive story. And the guy just has to find something negative. You could win. The the Cardinals could win the World Series, and yet they didn't win it the right way. You know, Mosellock, he still didn't give us the right kind of hitters and pitching. Like, dude, we just won the dang World Series. I was reminded of that when we won the (laughs) Mizzou Tigers. Uh, won the Cotton Bowl on Friday against Ohio State to cap uh, just a, a dream season. And a guy that I was talking to talked about the fact that he he still does not like the coach, Eli Drinkwitz, who just got a contract extension. Yeah, I'm just still not a big fan. Oh, okay. You can't be happy. I'm reminded of that. The whole concept in and around the Taylor Swift phenomenon. Now, I am not defending her because I'm some huge fan. I have never actually listened to any one of her albums from front to back. I know her songs. If you could play one of her top songs at any time in the last 15 years, I would say, oh, yeah, I know that song. That's Taylor Swift. I would never pay any money, especially the kind of money that's being thrown about now through the Eras Tour, you know, $500, $1,000 or more to go see her in concert, although I know it's a great show. I'm a classic rock guy, even to the hard rock side. It's not my kind of music. With that said, as a music snob a little bit who messes around with the guitar, Taylor Swift is actually a obscenely underrated guitar player. She really is an elite guitar player. And listening to her music, and I did a little bit more of this after she was Time Person of the Year, she is so gifted lyrically and musically. She ha- she's got the it factor. So when my daughter, who's been a big Taylor Swift fan from day one, uh, they share the same first name. Uh, they actually somewhat look the same. My daughter also played guitar. My daughter has a younger brother, my son named Austin. That's Taylor Swift's younger brother is Austin. I used to work at Merrill Lynch when Taylor Swift's dad was at Merrill Lynch. I, it's weird. Taylor Swift is a billionaire. I'm Okay. The similarities stop right there. But with that said, it's just not my kind of music. But anyway, my daughter was here uh, with my son-in-law. She said, hey, let's watch the Eras Tour. It's on um, Amazon Prime. It's the documentary. It's like three hours long. Of course, my daughter went to go see the show down in Houston, and she saw the movie. My wife saw the movie. She's not a huge Taylor Swift fan, although she was when she was country. My wife's a big country music fan, didn't care for the crossover to the pop side. But with that said, she loved the movie. Okay, the old guy's going to sit down with his wife, daughter, son-in-law, and watch the Taylor Swift Eras Tour documentary. I was very, very impressed, and I wasn't counting on it. It dawned on me why she is who she is. It's just that it factor. You are born with it. Now, you can cultivate it, and you can work hard, and she has like nobody's business. So I don't understand the pushback on her popularity when 
can we all just agree on one thing? We've lived through H-E double hockey sticks the last several years, haven't we? Uh, the COVID virus, I, I lost someone very close to me because of COVID. The lockdowns, the political divide in this country. We got wars going on. We, we got people yelling at each other in social media. And here's a very talented elite musician who gives people a few hours out of all of that garbage to have one of the great times of their life and who knows how to do it right. And who also brings in billions of dollars, billions of dollars into the economy at various places she goes around the country. So I say she's deserving of it. And I would say to all of those of you out there that just don't like it and can't stand it and uh, you don't get it. Well, I'm sorry, but just get over yourself let people enjoy themselves it's not my music either i wouldn't spend a dollar going to see her but i appreciate everything that she has done at a time when we yell at each other too much that's my take folks have a great rest of your week we'll talk to you again next wednesday